So let's pray. Father God, would you please open our eyes that we might see you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 to 14. Elijah is one of the greats in the Bible. God had called him to be his representative in a very dark world. It was hard. He didn't have an easy message to speak. He challenged the people to stop wavering between following God and following Baal. He challenged them to stop choosing between this God now and that God then and that God then. He confronted the whole religious establishment of the time because they misrepresented God. And he challenged King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. He declared God's judgment on them, both because they had introduced false worship and because they had murdered Naboth. And when he appears, King Ahab describes him as my enemy, and he describes him as the troubler of Israel. And God confirmed the words that Elijah spoke in the way that he answered Elijah's prayers. He caused a drought to happen for three years. He brought down fire from heaven. He raised a widow's son from the dead. And he even made the waters part, as we've just seen now, an echo of what Moses or Joshua did. But today we read how the mantle of Elijah literally falls on Elisha. Let's see how it's worked out in this passage. Do turn to two kings. So, Matthew, I'm ever so sorry. I wonder if you could get me a glass of water. That would be brilliant. <coughs> Elijah, the, 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 sort of the whole passage, we read, only read some verses of it, but if you look at how the passage is structured, you see that Elijah goes to Bethel in verse 2, and then to Jericho in verse 4, and then to the River Jordan in verse 7. He goes on this journey, Bethel, Jericho, Jordan. He takes his cloak, strikes the water of the River Jordan, and the waters part. Verse 8, Elijah did things like that. He crosses the Jordan. He is then separated from Elisha by the horses and chariots of fire. Notice he doesn't go up in the chariots and horses of fire. The horses and chariots of fire separate him from Elisha. And he is then taken up in a whirlwind. And as he ascends, his cloak falls to the ground. Elisha picks up the cloak, and then this is the interesting bit, he does the journey in reverse. He goes back to the River Jordan, he strikes the water, and the waters part, in verse 14. In verse 18, he returns to Jericho, and then in verse 23, he returns to Bethel. And the key verse in this chapter is verse 15. When the prophets meet Elisha by the river Jordan on the other side, they say, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. Just to confuse us, Elijah and Elisha. We're being told here that Elisha is the new Elijah. He is now the one who is called to represent God and to speak for God. 
And we see how God has prepared him for this work. First of all, he knows that he has been called to this work. God called him, through Elijah, to be a prophet. We see that in 1 Kings 19, when God says to to Elijah, appoint Elisha, uh, son of Shaphat, to be a prophet in your place. Now, a prophet is one who sees things as God sees them, who understands reality as God understands it, and who therefore speaks for God. And do you notice, as we've said, that that Elijah doesn't actually go up to heaven in the chariots of fire. They they separate him from Elisha. But in verse 12, we are told three simple words. Elisha sees it. Elisha sees the chariots and the fire. It's probable that if others had been there, they wouldn't have seen the horses and chariots of fire. We know that because in 2 Kings chapter 6, Elisha and his servants are in a city which is besieged. The odds are overwhelming against them. The servant despairs. And so Elisha prays and he says, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. And God answers Elisha's prayer and the servant sees and we're told and behold he sees the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. There is a spiritual reality that is bigger and beyond us and we need at times the eyes to see it. God has called Elisha to do the work of a prophet and God has given him eyes to see Secondly, God prepares him for this work by calling Elisha to be a servant, an apprentice to Elijah. In 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 11, Elisha, even after he has begun his ministry and has done amazing things, he is still described as the one who washed Elijah's hands. Before he can exercise his ministry, he needs to learn to be obedient And it's very important that if you are going to allow God to use you, that we need to have learned not simply to do the work of a servant, but to have the heart of a servant. And in being Elijah's servant, he was trained by Elijah, not in the sense that Elijah sat down with him and taught him, but in the sense that he lived with Elijah. He saw Elijah in action. He saw what Elijah was like when he got up in the morning, when he was depressed, when he was stressed, when he was decisive. He saw Elijah's outer life, and he also saw Elijah's inner life. He learned by watching Elijah. We see that in the passage we've just had read, because when he comes to the water after Elijah has been taken from him, Elisha does exactly the same thing that Elijah had done a few minutes earlier. He strikes the water with Elijah's mantle. And thirdly, God prepares Elisha for this great work by giving him a deep hunger for the Spirit of God. Elisha knows that God is going to take Elijah. The prophets in Bethel tell it will happen, verse 3. The prophets in Jericho tell him it will happen, verse 5. And on three different occasions, Elijah says to Elisha, stay here, stay behind, 
and on each occasion, Elisha refuses. He refuses, I think, because he loves him. He loves him as a son loves a father. When Elijah is taken, he cries, my father, my father. And he's going to stay with Elijah to the very end. But he refuses, and I think this is more important because there is something that he wants from Elijah, and he's not going to go until he gets it. So finally, Elijah asks him, what is it you want? And he says, give me a double portion of your spirit. Now, he's not being greedy here. We need to understand that when he says, give me a double portion, the double portion was given to the person who was the successor, who was the person who was the heir. So he is effectively saying to Elisha, to Elijah, give me your spirit so that I can be your heir and your successor. Elisha knows he cannot do anything without the spirit of Elijah, without the God of Elijah. So when he comes to strike the water and part them, he cries out, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And as the waters part and he crosses the waters, so the prophets recognize that the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. Elisha is the one who now represents, who now speaks for God. Well, who speaks for God today? Popes, archbishops, church councils, vicars? The message of the New Testament is that each person who is a follower of Jesus Christ, who has the Spirit of God, can speak for God. You see, just as Elijah went up in the whirlwind, so Jesus Christ went up when he ascended. And we're told that as he ascended, they were told this in Ephesians 4, he gave gifts. Just as Elijah's cloak fell to the ground, so Jesus said that if he went to his Father in heaven, he would send his Spirit on all who come to receive him and believe in him. And so as Christians, firstly, you need to know that you have been called to an astonishing task. You have been called to represent God, to speak for God. We've been called, in the words of Peter, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. When you became a Christian, God opened your eyes. You had been spiritually blind. You can now begin to spiritually see. People will often say this. They often say, now that I'm a Christian, the Bible comes alive for me. Now that I'm a Christian, I see things in a completely different way. We live in a world which is blind. When Alison and myself lived in St. Petersburg, we had the privilege of going regularly into the Hermitage and seeing some remarkable paintings. People came from all over the world to look at them. They were amazed at the shapes, the use of colour, the proportions and the beauty of the paintings. And they praised the painters, Da Vinci, Rembrandt, Van Gogh and Picasso. 
And then they came out and walked along the bank of, if it was winter, the frozen river Neva. And they looked at the little figures walking across the river on the ice path and at the sun reflecting off the ice. It was a hauntingly evocative picture. And yet they were blind. We stand amazed in front of human masterpieces, but we're blind to the divine masterpiece that is in front of our eyes every day of every year. Look at the smallest flower. Look at the night sky. Look at your neighbour. Each person here is far more amazing, far more incredible than anything that Turner, Renoir or Matisse produced. As followers of Jesus, God has begun to open our eyes so that we can begin to glimpse this world with the eyes of God. So that we see that this world is his world. So that we can see ourselves and others with the eyes of God as created in his image, as precious to him, as dearly, dearly beloved by him. So that we can see our sin with the eyes of God, not just as something that messes us up and doesn't leave us fulfilled or that messes other people up, but as something that is an offence to God, as something that God absolutely hates because it is a denial of everything that God is as an act of rebellion against him. And yet we also can see Jesus Christ with the eyes of God. Not simply as a Palestinian peasant who went around doing good, who was unjustly crucified, but as his eternal son who loved us so much that he died for us so that we can be forgiven. And he opens our eyes so that we can begin to see events and circumstances the tragedies and the joys in the light of his amazing promises. We're called to be people who see chariots and horses of fire. That same vision is given to the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 1. He sees the vision of one who rides on a chariot of fire. And having seen, we're called to speak, to declare reality as it really is. Some people may be able to see into the future. Some people may be able to see into the hearts of men and women. That may be part of prophecy, but it's not the heart of prophecy. Prophets are people whose mind has been taught and shaped by the Bible, who see reality with the eyes of God, and who then speak. Secondly, if we, if you are to be representatives of God then we need our Elijahs. Elisha needed his Elijah. Can I suggest to those of you who are younger in the faith that you need to find an Elijah? Not necessarily someone to serve, but someone to learn from. Find an Elijah who will commit to spending time with you, to read the Bible together with you, to help you see reality from God's perspective to pray for you, who will be to you a genuine God-father or God-mother. 
And can I suggest to those of you who are older in the faith that you should be seeking your Elisha. You've been round the block quite a few times. You've sat under Bible teaching ministry for many years. You should be someone who not only feeds on the word of God, but someone who feeds others with the word of God. Maybe you need to pray that God will give you the courage to go to someone and say, would you like to meet so that we can look together at the Bible and pray together? I'm very conscious that as I'm talking about this and sort of saying, you know, this need to meet together with, with individuals, actually, that, that's quite difficult for us. And, and our real emphasis uh, this year is much more on small groups and encouraging people to be part of small groups. And it may well be that it's in our small groups that we can most be our Elijahs and our Elishas to each other. It's in our small groups as we meet together that we can most support and encourage one another. Thirdly, if we're to be representatives of God, then like Elijah, we need to hunger after the Spirit of God and hunger for more of God. Elisha knew that he could do nothing. He certainly could not part the water without the Spirit of God. And without God, we are blind, we are empty, and we are helpless. We cannot understand a Bible passage in the right way without the Holy Spirit. We cannot change a single sinful habit in our life without the Holy Spirit. We cannot remain faithful in the face of ridicule or opposition or temptation or suffering without the Holy Spirit. We simply cannot convert, uh, we certainly cannot convert a single person without the Holy Spirit. Elijah knew that he could not promise Elisha the gift of the Spirit. It was not his to give. Only God can give his Spirit. All Elijah can say is that if Elisha sees him being taken from him, then it will be as he requests. But with Jesus, it is different. Jesus has promised that because he goes to the Father, he will give us his Spirit. He has promised that if we come to him and ask for his Spirit, he will give us his Spirit. All we need to do is ask. Brothers and sisters, we are called to an astonishing task and an awesome privilege. Walking hand in hand with each other, like Elijah and Elisha, and walking in the power of the Spirit, we are called to be a light of God in this dark world. And walking hand in hand with each other, like Elijah and Elisha, and walking in the power of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, you, you are called to the awesome privilege of being a representative of the living God in this dark world. Father God, open our eyes that we might see Jesus. And then open our lips that we might have the courage to speak. In Jesus' name. Amen.